A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode is sponsored by Try Vegan, a vegan meal home delivery service that is nutritious and delicious and makes your life easier. Based out of New Jersey, they deliver throughout the Northeast. Check out more details on their website, tryveganmealprep.com. And you can get 25% off your first order with the promo code LITYOGA. So go vegan. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Friday with Friends. Today I have a very special guest, my dear friend and doctor, Dr. Julie Pantelik. Julie is a pure genius and has helped me so much from her functional medicine approach. We talk about what she's done for me, her journey into functional medicine, and all about hormone, health, gut biome, and so much more. Please tune in and let me know what you think. Welcome to Friday with Friends. I have a dear friend and my own doctor with me today, Dr. Julie Pantelik. Julie has helped me so much over the years, and I'm just so grateful to have you here today. Oh, thank you, Laura. So I'd like to first launch off by talking about your background and how what you're doing now is different than how you started. You did the more conventional training and practiced in that realm, and then you've moved on now to what where I'm seeing you in the realm of functional medicine. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between the more traditional type seeing a primary care physician versus seeing someone like yourself now? So I was trained as a conventional physician, although slightly differently from what we call an allopathic physician. I was trained in an osteopathic uh, environment. And osteopathic medicine has, by its very definition, a more whole patient, holistic approach. We do all the same uh, scientific uh, studies as an allopathic physician, but in addition, we do this whole body uh, science and a form of manual diagnosis and treatment. I did not actually follow the manual medicine um, path after uh, medical school. Um, I went to the Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine, and then went into more conventional internal medicine. Um, internal medicine is sort of considered like a little bit of the brainiac version of, uh, you know, general medicine. It's just a place where you can um, engage in all kinds of complex questions that involve all of the systems of the body as they're defined by conventional medicine. Conventional medicine is is absolutely essential. It's a place where We all turn when we have an acute problem that needs to be treated right away. We all think of our primary care physician as somebody that can help us in that moment. And generally, we leave with a lot of um, pills, you know. (laughs) I don't know how to, (laughs) I don't want to boil it down to that, but on some level, you go in with a symptom and they give you a treatment. And the 
thinking of why this might be happening, it comes into play, but not in a way that satisfied me over the course of many years. I kept wanting to ask the question that my professors would always try to ignore, which was why. You know, why is this happening? Or why do we treat them with that? Or what are the alternatives? Or did anybody ask them, you know, um, what they eat or, you know, um, how they grew up? And I was always finding myself not engaged (laughs) on that level. So I found my way to functional medicine. Uh, I have a more integrative way of thinking. I just sort of naturally gravitate to being outside the box. So I tried to look for solutions to some of my patients' questions. And that led me to functional medicine, which is a root cause way of thinking. And so what I practice now is a hybrid of primary care, which is lifelong adult medicine, age 18 to 108. And from there, I have integrated the the more whole um, the more whole evaluation of the body. So I look at the I look at gut health. I look at hormonal health. I look at the toxicity that we build up. I look at what we're eating and whether you're having food intolerances, you know, how you're sleeping, how you're exercising. So like really the whole picture of a person is uh, so much uh, uh, more impactful than just sort of, you know, thinking about your breathing problem and looking at your lung uh, capacity or something like that. Yeah. And that's how I feel as well. You know, when we practice on the mat, we're if somebody feels tight in their hamstrings, it's not necessarily that they're tight in their hamstrings. You know, it could be there's a global tightness and actually the hamstrings are weak. And that's there. So what happens, I think, in this in our modern medical model, whether it's physical therapy or in medicine, is that we have compartmentalized a body mm-hmm. and um, and not really paid close attention to how all the systems affect each other. Exactly. And it's just, it's so enlightening. And I'm, I'm really hoping that more people will find their way into functional medicine because I, my background is I, I met you and I was fascinated with what you were telling me. And it just, you know, you were like a pioneer, like <laughs> I, you know, I am a little outside the box. And so I went to, I didn't have any symptoms per se, but I knew that I was entering menopause. I knew that this is a time to really understand what's happening beyond just the cultural understanding or or, um, indoctrination or whatever is displayed, Mm -hmm. you know, in in ads or what you hear people talk about with menopause being this really dark era. (laughs) And I didn't want to assume that was going to be me. I, I, I know from the body, I always talk about, you know, we're not destined to deteriorate and just go and not be able to move. We, we have to, at a certain age, pay more attention for sure. We can get away with bad habits, bad eating habits, bad movement habits for a while. Right. And there is an accumulative effect of that. So we can, this is the time to really harness our, our power and empowerment. And you really went, delved deep into hormonal health with me. And I, Mm -hmm. and I asked questions on Instagram and the majority of them are about hormonal health. Can, so can mm-hmm. you speak a little bit about what happens in the women's body when, why we should pay attention to our hormone imbalance, whether you're in menopause, after menopause, or before when you're just mm-hmm. having your regular kind of cycles? Right. Well, that's a really uh, good question. It's a it's a complex question. You know, I can certainly answer it from a very simple medical perspective. You know, somewhere around the age of uh, 35, uh, you sometimes 40, depends on the individual, You um, your body starts to change, your hormones uh, start to change, your ovulation diminishes its and it's so if we're just operating from the normal patient because there's all sorts of variations right, on the of theme, course of course but the average woman um starts to feel some 
perimenopausal symptoms sometime around the age of 45. Again, it can be, you know, earlier or later for people. Um, the symptoms usually start about four years before your ultimately last menstrual cycle. And what are some of those symptoms, just so people know? Yeah. I think a lot of people are not trained about this. Well, it's actually, I think one of the questions that I read um, on your uh, Instagram feed was that, you know, what? so what questions do I go to my doctor with? You know, I'm 30, I look healthy, I don't feel like I'm getting close, but I'd like to sort of prepare myself. Well, that's a, a really great goal, and we should all be thinking about that. And we can certainly speak about it from a very narrow perspective of what's happening biologically in you, but I'd like to also look at what influences what's biologically happening in you. So again, most physicians, if you go and say, so what's, you know, what should I expect? They'll say, well, you know, your hormones will start to diminish and you'll start to develop, you know, menopausal symptoms and then you'll be in full menopause. And they, depending on the individual, they may give you much more of an explanation, but um, generally not. So I really encourage everybody to, engage with this question because it's it's absolutely essential that you understand what's happening in your body. Uh, and there's lots of sources of information about menopause and perimenopause. But what the big gray cloud that people start to fear are these uh, things called hot flashes or hot flushes. And you start to feel them sort of in the center of your chest uh, sort of a heat that kind of like starts to radiate up into your neck. And if someone is having one of these, you can just sit there and watch them just completely turn sort of red. Mm. And, you know, then they might start to perspire and it lasts for maybe two minutes and then it stops, you know, and then they might get cold and then they might have some anxiety following that. And, uh, and then some people have them every hour and some people might have them once or twice a day. And some people might be woken up at night by it. So that's like the, the most, you know, archetypal form of menopausal symptoms. But then there's all whole host of them. You know, your um, skin starts to change. The collagen is no longer as elastic as it used to be. Uh, your um, skin might become dry. Um, you start to have some weight gain, particularly in the middle of your abdomen. Um, you might uh, become uh, moody and irritable and have brain fog and start to get depressed. And, you know, a lot of what I often hear is I just can't make a decision. Like I, I used to be so organized. I used to be able to make decisions and now I can't even figure out what I'm supposed to be doing next. And uh, that's a, just a horrible feeling. I've, I've been there. Uh, and, and these uh, symptoms are all <laughs> caused by the hormonal changes. Yes. That's crazy. It is so crazy. That just doesn't sound pleasant. I mean, I have fortunately knock on wood because of meeting you, I haven't, experienced any of those things. I haven't ever had a hot flash. And, you know, so I think number one, you are empowering women with what you do because you're saying this is what typically happens, but there are things you can do. Yeah. And so the best thing to do, like you said, is be aware of when these changes start to happen and then get your hormones checked because right. you can then start to supplement or substitute the hormones, which is what I'm doing, what you're doing, yeah. and what you, I'm sure, give most of your clients. There mm -hmm. is a lot of controversy or misunderstanding, I think is a better term, <laughs> about hormone replacement. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about why we want to hormone replace and what are the best methods to do that? Yeah, I definitely want to talk about that. I, I don't want to forget to go back to all the things that you should do before or, you get to hormonal replacement. Yeah. So, so just ahead. remind yeah. me. To, yes. Um, well, you can start there. You can start there with so, the person who's not yet going into menopause, the things to right. do. So I think the thing to understand about menopause is like, A, we're all going to go through it one way or the other. 
B, it is not a death sentence. Uh, it is, unfortunately, the options that you have available to you are not fully accepted by the whole entire conventional medical system. And I'm not sure why we're always trying to fit into that mold, but, you know, many of us do. And then once you have made a decision, whether you decide to do hormone replacement or not, there's a lot that you should and can do to optimize yourself, even though you are either on or not on the hormones, right? So the first thing is to realize that estrogen receptors are everywhere in your body. For some reason, we only think of them as like in our sexual organs uh, or our abdomen. I mean, there are estrogen receptors in your brain. There are testosterone receptors in your brain. There are estrogen receptors in your bone. Uh, you know, there are progesterone receptors everywhere. So when you are having a diminishment of the estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone production, all those receptors are not going to function optimally. And so they will start sending signals to change the way things are working. So to try to keep it straightforward, the estrogen that is produced by your ovaries, and there's some also produced by your adrenals, but by the ovaries, as your ovaries start to wane in their strength, your estrogen sort of hangs on until the very last minute and then it drops. And the progesterone has already started to drop. So progesterone is a very calming hormone. It's progestation. So it's what keeps the, belly, the baby in the belly, in the uterus. It's what calms us down when we're going through uh, the pregnancy phases. Um, and when the progesterone drops, in your 30s and 40s and 50s, then you start to have a lot of these sort of anxiety symptoms, uh, insomnia symptoms. And you, you can't replace your estrogen until you are actually in um, menopause, which is one year of no cycling. You can uh, replace some of your progesterone and testosterone before then. And um, it's really quite uh, helpful uh, for insomnia and uh, for the anxiety that uh, women feel um, at, as they get into their 40s and 50s. The point that I want to get to is that the health of our bones, for example, and this can be applied to many other areas, but especially the bones, because it creates such debilitating problems as we age Estrogen is responsible for bone strength. And as we age, and starting actually everyone uh, that is listening to this should recognize or know, or I'm hopefully helping you to understand that your peak bone mass is at the age of 35. So if you're listening and you're younger than 35, you should try to do everything you possibly can to improve your bone strength so that you have optimized your bone strength at the age of 35, and then know what you can do to maintain its integrity and diminish its loss as you reach menopause. And then what you can do at menopause is decide if you want to go on hormone replacement therapy, which would help continue to build your bone and prevent osteoporosis. So osteoporosis is the thinning of the bone. Um, we see these, you know, lovely older women walking down the sidewalk, their shoulders are hunched over, they can't lift their heads up to see the horizon line because their vertebrae have crushed because they have insufficient vertebral bone strength and that causes that dowager hump. Mm, that's crushing me. <laughs> it's, I it, remember watching Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She yes. was a very, very obvious example of that. Yes. With that, you know, literally couldn't lift her head because, yeah, when your bone matrix weakens yes. and there are people that are more susceptible, she was a very tiny person. So little, right. you know, smaller bone people are going to be more likely, but there are... Yeah. 
you know, this is not, again, this is not a death sentence. It's a, I, you know, I feel really educated and I did not know until I was talking to you that the hormones were responsible for bone health. I, I'm just literally <laughs> like, how did I not know that? Right. And, you know, I just thought it was literally like you replace hormones or not if you just want to keep, you know, those other symptoms at bay, like they help with hot flashes and they can help with your skin not mm-hmm. being so dry. But I didn't realize, I mean, that's why I ultimately chose because I was like, bone health is essential. Right. It is your scaffolding. It yeah. is, you know, it's everything. And so that's why I was super convinced. But, you know, just for those of you listening out there, if you didn't know this, you're not alone. You're not a dummy. I didn't know it either. And I think it's because... I don't think people are talking about it. No, we're not taught about our bodies and how they really function in our schooling systems, at mm-hmm. least not in this country. No, no. Um, yeah. That, so there are things that you can do and that things we all should do to increase our bone strength. Uh, everyone should be taking vitamin D with K2. K2 helps the body put the calcium into the bones. And that should be like for the rest of your life. We do not get enough vitamin D. I'm sure everyone's tired of hearing about vitamin D, <laughs> but I'm just going to put put it out there. Um, you should also get enough calcium, not necessarily in supplement form. Calcium is much better absorbed if you use it from a food source. And calcium, you know, Google, where do you get calcium? It's, you know, green leafy vegetables, always organic. The other thing that is super important is recognizing what medications you might be on for other diseases that you might already have that interfere with calcium use or absorption Absorption. Mm -hmm. or placement of it. So for example, there are a huge number of medications that interfere with um, calcium. And many people are probably on these. And unless you know that, uh, you won't think twice about it, right? So many of the over-counter medications that we take uh, should not be over-the-counter and we shouldn't be taking them. But so when you want to ask your doctor a question, you could say, so which medications am I on that can interfere with um, my bone strength because my mother has osteoporosis and I want to avoid it? And so that list is quite long, but it includes... Um, one of the most uh, highly prescribed uh, medications in the country. It's called a PPI, a proton pump inhibitor, also known as Nexium or Prilosec. Those interfere with uh, calcium. Uh, steroids, like a lot of people take steroids because they have autoimmune issues or they have asthma. Those too interfere with bone uh, strength. Uh, all anti-epileptic drugs like phenytoin and carbamazepine, which sometimes people use either for migraines or trigeminal neuralgia, those interfere with calcium. Heparin, which is a blood thinner, actually Depo-Provera because it has an artificial um, progestin called uh, medroxyprogesterone that can interfere with your bone strength. And if you're taking that when you're 18 and 20, you're already sort of diminishing your bone strength. Methotrexate, uh, excessive thyroid medication, which is also something to be aware of. Aluminum containing antacids, like how many of us uh, pop those when we're not feeling well. Uh, A lithium, I mean, and of course, smoking and excess alcohol use. Uh, So there's really lots of things that you want to take out of your diet so that you're not contributing to a problem you're uh, going to face or could face down the road. So those are the things you want to avoid. And then there's other things like, how is your diet? How is your gut? And that's a huge question. Yes, that's that's a whole, that could be a whole uh, podcast right there, the gut biome. So before we get into the hormone replacement, since we did just talk about the gut biome, um, this is another area that Julie has helped me with. I didn't have any obvious symptoms or anything, but my daughter got tested for um, H. pylori, which is a bacteria that is fairly common to to pick up. And I, so then it's very contagious because you can pass it like if you share glasses or utensils. So I got tested. I was also positive. So we were put on an H. pylori protocol, which is, um, was really easy to do. And, you know, we had to be methodical about it. And I was mentioning 
to, I mean, Julie knows this with my daughter, like she would complain of eating very little and being very gassy, like looking like she was, you know, bloated. She's like, I don't understand what's going on. And that was a huge part of the um, H. pylori that we didn't know about. So gut biome is essential. So can you talk a little bit briefly about what is the gut biome and why it impacts our mood, um, our energy, our digestion. Right. It's absolutely the most fascinating thing going on in science from my perspective right now. I mean, it's just, there's so many interesting people researching and talking about it. It's like discovering the importance of the ecosystem in the world, in, in, your, in your land, in your soil. You know, soil scientists have known that you need to have a balanced uh, microbial community in the soil in order to produce plants that have good uh, nutritional value. Well, ironically, or maybe it's just it's just to be expected, but as the soil is depleted of its microbiome and we eat the vegetables that are depleted in their nutritional value, and some of us don't eat even those, then our gut, our ecosystem is being impoverished on top of which uh, we are damaging our microbial community through the medications that we take, uh, including NSAIDs uh, and including and especially antibiotics. There's many other medications that affect the gut microbiome, but um, it is super complex. So the concept is essentially that we have trillions of bacteria, archaea, parasites, viruses, fungi that we actually need, even though we think of wanting to use Clorox on everything. Clorox is, by the way, extremely toxic. Don't ever use it if you can avoid it. But that's another subject. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, 95% of the people are like, what? I know. <laughs> How do I it's clean my sink? super yeah. complicated. Look for greener ways to clean. It's mm -hmm. super possible. Hydrogen mm -hmm. peroxide is like uh, amazing, and it turns into hydrogen and water. Mm. So, but um, so the microbiome is an exquisitely uh, orchestrated community that helps us produce vitamins, extract vitamins and minerals from the food that we eat. Um, it is essential to our digestion. There's something like, our body has something like eight or nine enzymes that help us break down plants. And we need hundreds, if not thousands of enzymes to break them down. And we get them from the plants that we eat. So, and I mean, if we, we get it from the bacterial communities that we are nurturing or not nurturing in order to break down those plant fibers. So the gut microbiome is just one area of the microbiome, but there's a, there's a biome or a natural or an optimal community living on your skin, in your vagina, in your lungs, even in your brain that are unique to those areas of your body. And what we eat literally feeds them or harms them. And they've done studies where they look at your biome on a Monday, they feed you different diets Monday night, and Tuesday your biome is different based on what you eat. So that's good news and bad news. So the good news is that you can change your biome. The bad news is that what you eat actually really matters, and it, and it is cumulative. So, and it's particularly more complex if you've had a C-section birth, either yourself or your child. And so that's something that's always uh, been on my mind because I had a C-section uh, birth. So the microbiome can be imbalanced. And when it's imbalanced, you can have symptoms. You can have symptoms of bloating, indigestion, acid reflux, diarrhea, constipation, an alternating diarrhea, constipation, uh, like sudden weight gain, sudden weight loss. Like it, it really can affect all of the metabolic functions that are happening in uh, your gut. And the 
majority, 70 to 80% of our immune system is in the cells of the gut wall. The majority of our neurotransmitters are produced in the gut and travel to the brain. So if you are feeling depressed and anxious, the first thing that I would do is let's look at your gut. If you are having bloating and, and, uh, and constipation, the first thing I would do is look at your gut. And part of that is certainly a test. It's a functional medicine test to look at what infections you have in your stomach. And so, for example, in the case of H. pylori, it's particularly interesting because it produces a compound that decreases the acidity of your stomach, which decreases your ability to to digest your food. And that decreases your ability to get your nutrients from your food. And over the course of accumulative time, you could develop deficiencies, which may show up as, you know, pitting white spots on your nails or hair loss or, you know, all sorts of skin disorders. Um, and the other thing that's really interesting is the skin, when we're, uh, when we are evolving um, in utero, our skin is continuous with our gut. It's kind of like a sock, like the outside of the sock is our skin. And when you're turning it halfway, you know, inside out, that is our gut. So there's a continuation of that, of the layers and um, the, the genetics so that anything that you might be seeing on your skin might have an origin in your gut. Mm, yeah, that's, I've, I've read about that. And I know for people like with dairy, for instance, mm -hmm. dairy can really show up in the form of cystic acne, mm, yeah. um, other kinds of skin disorders. And, and sometimes I've suggested, well, why don't you remove this from your diet? Of course, I'm not a doctor, but just knowing that little bit, like how much it comes into all the different systems in the mucus. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So yes. And I will add that, yes, we did the H. pylori um, protocol, which really worked well. And Olivia is happily digesting food well. And <laughs> right. I'm so grateful for you because I would have just been like, I don't know what's going on. Just mm -hmm. try eating something different. And, exactly. you know, she was not even, she was eating basic foods like, you know, brown rice and some vegetables and eating a few bites and feeling like right. so bloated. So if you have gut issues, if you have skin issues, if you have energy issues, if you have, you know, again, like she was saying, this is, these are responsible for the development of the neurotransmitters, which make us feel balanced in our brain, you know, the serotonin, like the, yeah. they're known as the happy hormones, but they're really balancing hormones. If you're feeling low or anxious, um, you should also look into your gut. It isn't to say there's like with everything there's, they're multi, it's multifaceted, but mm -hmm. that's what I really think of as functional medicine is a multi-prong approach to, um, your overall balance. You know, we are trying mm -hmm. our best right. in every way. Uh, to be balanced from the inside out and right. all the different parts. Right. Well, I think that um, it's all really about, for me, um, it's root cause medicine. It's it's personalized medicine. I mean, conventional medicine tends to look at populations and recommend um, medications based on typical symptoms or typical uh, profiles. But from my perspective... Th that is only useful as a starting point. I think you have to really identify who is the person in front of you, what are their genetics, what do they eat, how do they sleep, all the things that make them unique to themselves, what's their history, is their trauma, you know, all of this is going to impact uh, what I would recommend in your care. And certainly um, the goal is to get you to a place of homeostasis or balance so that your body can do the work that it was meant to do and not be, you know, interrupted by um, the accumulation of what um, might be going on either in your diet or in your medicine cabinet or mm -hmm. in and your the other, Yeah. And speaking of that, like my first meeting with you, I remember was two hours. And, <laughs> you know, that's um, just to show you that there's many questions to ask. And if you go to a functional medicine person, you will, you will know that it's very different 
then, and I, I, I feel sorry for the physicians who are practicing conventional medicine because they're a little bit slaves to the ins- insurance um, right. gods. And so they can slot you in for maybe 15 minutes if you're lucky. And that's just not enough time to really, especially if you see somebody once a year, to really dive into like how you're actually doing, how you're functioning, how you're sleeping, how you're eating, um, how your mental state is. It's just not enough time. Right. Are you ready to launch into the hormone replacement? Because I do think this yeah. is an area that, again, is misunderstood. Um, I've been asked a lot of questions about it. What's the difference, first of all, between you know hormone replacement versus bioidentical hormones? Mm-hmm. Because the hormone replacements have gotten some bad press, understandably, mm-hmm. but then it's been applied to all. All ideas of synthetic hormones have been um feared. And mm-hmm. in fact, learning from you, uh, they're, they're wonderful. And what a great discovery that we now have them. Well, the, um, the problem with the data that we all uh, on some level might know about, you know, comes out of this study called the Women's Health Initiative uh, Study. And it looked at what I'm going to call synthetic hormones. It did not look at bioidentical hormones. I'm just going to define those quickly. So synthetic, meaning made by a pharmaceutical company, they've done the research, they've done the studies to get it approved. It has a formal name. It was called PremPro, Premarin and Provera. Um, Those are not chemically equivalent or the same as what your body produces. It was originally um, made from, uh, like a long time ago, made from pig uh, ovaries, but then later they figured out they could use horse urine to create or to pull the estrogen out of the horse urine, and they called it um, Premarin, so pregnant mare urine, and it came up with the acronym uh, Premarin. That was used as a way to help women in uh, menopause not go through some of the effects of menopause. Uh, in addition to which, there is also the risk of, a- as you go to menopause, having a higher risk not only of osteoporosis, but of cardiovascular disease. Um, and uh, that would be you know, heart attacks uh, and breast cancer, um, strokes, uh, blood clots, those sorts of things that happen as we uh, age for um, various reasons. But the uh, studies uh, looked at, it w- they were done on women that were past the menopausal age. So they were not in their 50s, but they were in their 60s. So that's, there's definitely uh, a thought that you should start hormone replacement right at the point of menopause and not wait 10 years to start it. Um, and that was not the population that was studied. Uh, so they studied synthetic hormones. They studied older women. Um, and even in that environment, the range per 10,000 people uh, was not that high. So for example, they studied, uh, you know, there's this idea of placebo. So they studied um, PremPro versus placebo. And in heart attacks, uh, there were 37 out of 10,000 with the PremPro, and there were 30 per 100 for, per 10,000 just for the placebo. So you could say that there was really only seven different from one to the other, and that is not such a high number that everybody should suddenly turn their back on uh, hormone replacement when you look at what hormone replacement prevents, mm-hmm. right? So you do at some point, if you're looking at the conventional hormones, you want to look at what are you more worried about, you know, osteoporosis and breaking a hip and that's all she wrote or of you know, a heart attack, which you could be preventing by dietary, you know, changes. Same thing with stroke. It was 29 versus 21 for mm-hmm. PremPro. 
um, breast cancer, 38 versus 30. So the numbers were not large to begin with. But this is this has gone on the books for the last 20 years as being so significant that it turned a lot of women away from going on hormone replacement and the result of which many women developed the problems they would have prevented by being on that synthetic hormone replacement. What I do is not synthetic hormone replacement, but it's bioidentical. It's produced um, by either a compounding pharmacy um, or there are some uh, estradiol is one of the three uh, estrogens. It's the one that's most important. Uh, it's the strongest one. Estradiol can be used as a patch. The, there are physicians that prescribe capsules or that prescribe pellets. But for me, the the safest form is the patch. You put the patch on once, uh, once every three and a half days. So twice a week, you change the patch. And then I check your blood levels every, you know, three months, three to four months, just to be sure everything is the same. And you should always have your blood levels checked. You never just have someone say, this is your dose and see you, you know, never. I mean, it's mm -hmm. important. Um, and then progesterone, there is a uh, form that you can buy uh, from a pharmaceutical company, but it contains peanut oil and dyes that you don't need. So I use a, con a compounding pharmacy that can produce a progesterone capsule that you take at night. And then there's a testosterone cream, which you apply uh, to your skin, you know, once a day. So these, the difference is that the studies produced scary results for synthetics. There have not been these studies done on the bioidentical. Uh, there are some studies that show that it doesn't cause harms and it has benefits. Um, and if you talk to anybody that is on the bioidentical, they would never want to go off of it. <laughs> so I've been on it for 10 years. I have never had a single problem. I monitor my levels. Um, it has changed my life. And in those times when I forget to take it, like I might be traveling and I run out of it, I get hot flashes. Like 10 years later, I'm getting hot flashes and it's just miserable. Mm. So I, I I personally have uh, found them very powerful. And, um, and I just, I have this one patient whose story, uh, she repeats to me every time she sees me because she's so grateful. And I think that she would, you know, state it publicly as well. But she was in her 70s. She had came to me because she didn't want to take any of the conventional osteoporotic medications. She has osteoporosis because she was on Nexium for 20 years. Uh, and that is one of the causes of uh, bone demineralization. So she wanted to be treated for osteoporosis. And by the way, I... I have this boyfriend who we've been in a relationship for seven years and I can barely have sex with them because it is so painful. And I looked at her like, I didn't know exactly what to say. <laughs> like, wow, he's amazing. And you're being tortured. This yeah. is horrible, you know? So she, we started her on um, these uh, hormone replacement, the passion, the capsule of progesterone and the testosterone. And she like came back like three months later. She's like, oh, I don't even know how to say this. I feel so angry at my gynecologist for never suggesting this. Like, I don't, I can't, I can't even begin to tell you. Like, I feel more myself. I like actually feel like a female. I feel like there's no pain. Like it's enjoyable. Like I don't, I'm so beside myself that I've wasted these seven years. And I really just don't know what to say. You know, that's just, it's just a tragedy that anybody thinks that this is normal. And I think it's super important to realize that your audience is, they're young, they're athletic, they're, they're doing the attention, intention thing that I think is so important in, in everyone's health care as well as in their yoga practice. They need to know that to live another 40 years past 50, you do not have to suffer the way that we are left to suffer. Mm -hmm. Because you, you go to, you know, most GYNs and they will say, well, I don't actually prescribe bioidenticals, but I've 
had really happy patients that do it. And my question is, so why don't you prescribe the bird? You know, so, right, right. so and I think that it's, you know, <clears throat> it's quite frankly, medicine is a very conservative field that changes very slowly. So anything that you're reading about now, like the microbiome stuff, that will become norm in 10 years. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I I'm not going to wait 10 years to get that from my primary care, and I don't want my patients to wait 10 years either. Um, and so you just want to find someone that's thinking outside the box. And so it can be a conventional physician that is educating themselves, like I did, on functional medicine, which I think of as just root cause medicine, or integrative care, which is basically saying, again, my definition, what's out there that can help? Let me find out about it. Or if you know something that you think, think will help, I'll try to find out about it and we'll integrate it into your care, right? So it's just broadening your definition. Um, homeopathic remedies are very powerful. Uh, naturopathic remedies are very powerful. Acupuncture is amazing, you know. A yoga is super, like meditation, everyone should do it. Like there's just, these are just a diet. It's, it is literally like food is medicine. There is just no way to get around it. Um, what you put into your body becomes you. Mm -hmm. uh, and on that note, I always think of um, skin products. You know, we're all sort of sucked in by the marketing of these lovely you know, whatever, whatever labels, and it's beautifully designed. But if you can't eat that, you should not be putting it on your skin because your skin is your most absorptive organ and it takes in every single chemical you put on your skin. So some will say, well, yeah, but your liver will take care of it. Well, your liver also has to take care of all the off-gassing from the carpets that you have in your house, from the uh, allergens you have in your environment, from the mold in your basement, from the BPA that you have in your plastic bottles, from the, you know, uh, the antibiotics in the meat that you eat when you go out to dinner and you have no idea whether it's really organic or not. Like, it's just, it's all cumulative. And so we're living in, I mean, it's depressing. It is depressing. We're living in a toxic soup. We're all just hoping to build the walls around us uh, sufficiently to survive and not get some horrible cancer or some horrible disease. But there is actually so much that we can do. Number one, don't buy stuff that is going to feed the companies to continue to produce the product, right? So look at who you're supporting. Go local, because those people are really trying to do the right thing by their community. Um, never if you eat meat and you can avoid it. I know if you're traveling or, you know, you're at a birthday or what, you can't control everything. But when you can make choices, choose organic, pastured, antibiotic and hormone free, because guess what? Those antibiotics and those hormones just, they stay in the flesh and you eat it. It adds to your own antibiotic resistance. So we are everything that we eat, and that affects the gut microbiome, that affects your hormones, that affects your risks for, you know, disease. Uh, it affects your cognition down the road. Um, there's a lot of concern that, um, you know, dementia could in many ways be prevented if we could detoxify Mm -hmm. um, so I digress. <laughs> that, no, that was great. I feel like Julie's on a pulpit here. Well, I think everyone listening is going to be like, I want to work with Julie or someone like her. Can you tell people where they would first, um, find other functional medicine, um, like-minded people, and then also where they could find you? So... Functional medicine, integrative medicine, naturopathic medicine, they're all extremely valuable uh, practices. Um, you know, if you're looking for something outside the box, um, I would first talk to your friends, see if anybody's going to somebody that they like. Um, I would listen to uh, some of the podcasts that um, are done by um, 
these practitioners because they're incredibly powerful and full of information. Um, then you can also go on the national organizations that uh, these practitioners have trained with and find lists of people um, by uh, region. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's just like type in functional medicine physicians. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's an Institute for Functional Medicine. That's okay. the one that um, I'm familiar with. Um, and they, you know, th- their teaching methodology um, is available to both MDs, DOs, chiropractors, naturopaths. You know, it's, it's a methodology that does not deter, it's not associated with a particular degree. It's a method of thinking that can be applied from many different perspectives. Mm. And then if you want uh, to reach me, um, I'm going to be um, branding and coming up with a company name uh, within the next, you know, month and a half, so to speak, hopefully. Um, But for the moment, you can reach me on my email, which is jmpantelic at gmail.com. That's J for Julie, M for Marie. Pantelic, P like Peter, A, N like Nancy, T like Tom, E-L-I-C-K at gmail.com, and I'll um, get back to you. Yes, and we'll have that in the show notes um, because I would love to share Julie with the world, although I know she can't see all of you, but whether you see Julie or someone else, um, remember that you are important. And when you are doing something outside the box, you're going to have to pay more for it. Unfortunately, that's the way the system is right now but you need to do this. I see Julie every three or four months. I feel like I am cared for. I understand my body more. I feel like I am being proactive about aging and aging well and aging gracefully and aging with hope and joy and passion and not with this idea that um, it's just going to be a downward spiral. (laughs) (laughs) It's not. It's really the, once you bring attention and intention to what you're eating, how you're feeling, noticing the changes that you make. And they need to be small changes. You can't just change your life overnight. Nobody does. It doesn't work. You want to gradually move into awareness and that feeds uh, itself. It's a reward. And then when you, you know, see that delicious tiramisu, you know, unless you're like in Italy or something, I can just turn it down. Right. Yes. I love that. I love that. Well, And I love you. Thank you so much for being here. I'm sure we're going to have lots of follow-up questions, so we'll have you back. But um, I so appreciate you, and I just was excited to share you with this audience. Well, I super appreciate it. You are wonderful. You're an inspiration, and I um, am incredibly grateful to you and to your audience for being interested in how to take action for the wellness of their future. I love that. So all of you, um, check out Julie and send me any questions that you have and tell me how much you love Julie. So I'll have her back. And as always, I'm pulling for you. 